Last week in Luke chapter 16, we had a special story of a rich man as opposed to Lazarus and the complete reversal of fortune, so to speak, as Lazarus sat by Abraham's side in heaven when he died while the rich man suffered in hell. And we had the encouragement to use the word of God and how important its ministry is. Well, right on the heels of that parable, Luke recounts uh, uh, several verses of encouragement. It might seem like these are not related, but we'll spend time in the sermon on this today to see how this list of verses and these different ideas connect together in the calling that God has given to us in this world. Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. He replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. The Gospel of the Lord. Blessed servants of the Most High, my brothers and sisters in Christ, I've heard of a problem out there in the workforce today. And it was an article that was targeted against millennials. And, well, poor millennials. I guess I don't know the brackets for those dates, but, you know, in the new millennium, those who are entering the workforce and sort of on the younger end-ish of things, they, the complaint was that they're not working very hard in the office or comparison to other generations. And the debate is like, well, on the one hand, maybe this work effort is actually just a better balance of healthy mental approach to your work, of not being overwhelmed and work, 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 but this like healthy environment of work versus the other side of that coin of the, uh, yeah, this is almost borderline stealing because your employer's paying you to get the stuff done and we're not quite getting the stuff done. So there's a little, not to throw millennials as a category under the bus, I'm just telling you what I read. But this draws attention for me to a huge opportunity to set up a contrast for you. And on the one hand, I'd like you to position yourself in the shoes of a worker without faith. Somebody who is there, perhaps 
you know, they got into this line of work because it pays the bills. What I want you to identify with me is there's a certain environment where you've got certain boxes that you check off for the work that you do. And without faith in God, I think the boxes that I would check off is, you know, does this work, do I kind of like it, you know, it matches maybe the schooling or the interest that I have. Hopefully that's a match. Does it check off the box of, you know, I can sustain a living by this or maybe there's a ladder I feel I can go up to over time with a company or something like that. There's different boxes people try to check off in getting things done as they use the time and the skills and the, know, the knowledge that they have uh, acquired. And I think when you run down the gamut of those boxes, most of them are restricted to thoughts of one, me. It's protecting me and my future, and you know, you boy, you sure hope that you love what you do so that I can be more invested in what I do, that I love it, you know, that I love it, that I really like it, and it, and it sort of stays there, and how long you're going to do it. Um, I'm just setting up just sort of a generic generic example, generic language for the kinds of things that operate in one person's world as they might think about work. And I think people do lose sight, you know, almost like an assembly line approach to where you are in what happens in a company or what happens in a business. You can get stuck saying, all I do is this all the time. All I do is this. And you don't see you know, how it's serving a greater picture or it's reaching from, you know, a, a need to a, in a customer's hands where you're, you're meeting needs on behalf of a company. You can get this like tunnel vision, you know. All I get to do is this and all I'm earning is like this money and I'm not really here and I don't have any friends or I don't know. There's a lot of things that can go on that really begin to shrink the work environment. Does that make sense? There's a whole different aspect to life that Scripture puts in front of you today. Completely different. And I know that the gospel we're focusing on from Luke 17, it was sort of like chopped up into little segments, right? And yet, behind it all is the richest, most well-rounded version of you and your time, your work. If we were talking in the last two weeks about stewardship, especially of property and wealth, this is, this is already beginning to speak to you as like from a, a whole life, a whole life what I do with my time, stewardship. And when God does that, he speaks to your service. He speaks to you as his servant. One of the illustrations for our sanctified lives under God is, is, I should have brought it up this morning, is to hold a Dixie cup in your hand and imagine yourself under a waterfall. And you're, you're, filling, this, you know, you're filling this little cup and the idea of thanking God with our lives is like taking that little Dixie cup of water and splashing it back up at the waterfall. It sounds like what a little, what a little thing to do compared with the overflowing of God into our lives. And when I think of the individual we began with, the person who's thinking about how much do I like it and how much am I making and does it pay, the, you know, the things that maybe don't extend to other people and don't relate to God, 
um, you are the waterfall. And whether or not you feel like there's a lot of water filling you up at the time is one thing. But to listen to the word of God who gave you all that you are, where's the waterfall now? And who gave you your mind and your abilities and your opportunities and the things that are around you set you in your time and your place. I'm, I'm receiving. I'm not, I'm not here sitting like, I gotta make this, I gotta make this, and, and I gotta make it in a way that like pleases me or I sort of run out of energy, right? You run out of energy here, I get that, I get that. But to be under a waterfall and to listen to what it is to be called by God who loved me and gave himself for me, called by a God who made heaven and earth, called by a God who brought me safely to this new day. Now when faith speaks, it speaks in a mode of such abundance, and I can do that with my eyes closed. And then I open my eyes, and I see you, and I see work in a company that not only helps the company accomplish its goals, but usually fills a need in the world is why that company exists. And I get to help people too as I do it. And not only in my nine to five, I don't think there is a nine to five anymore, but not just in my nine to five, I can see all that God opens my eyes to in this world that I get to do. I want to explore this with you this morning. Can we do that? Where we have the contrast set up, but especially to be taught by Jesus what it is to live a life under the waterfall. That's where we're going to go today. And it starts with something that might surprise you. The transition we need to make from chapter 16 into 17 is to see that if there's anything to save, if there's anything to hold when the house is burning, metaphorically, okay? If there's anything to grab onto and salvage for a day and the use of time, what was the phrase I said over and over again last week? Anybody remember? Come on, open, open, open the book, open the book, it's open the book. If there's anything to do with the day, if you were to whittle it down and say, if anything gets done today, this is the done, because without it, people go to hell. Like you can have all the other stuff going on, but without the word of God, we go to hell. Without the word of God, we don't have a waterfall. Without the word of God, there is no other version of your life. It is just this little bubble world of you and yourself, right? And that one gets burst really fast when you die and you end up in the fires of hell. Last week taught us there's something very special. And where do we start? When Jesus begins summarizing a teaching to like push you out the door, like church is done, go, go and be this. Go be my people in the world. What does he emphasize? Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It'd be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. What we're going to see today is blessed are the servants of the Lord. And in this first section, you see how blessed you are in your work. And first, there's a very special do not that God worked into our hearts. Don't cause someone to stumble. Regardless of your job, 
And regardless of your vocations in this world, every single one of us is urged to prize something. If the word of God and it's speaking to people is such a treasure for us, then to put a stumbling block in front of that mouth, to put earplugs in someone's ears would be the worst thing I could do with my time. This is serious language. And I don't know about you, but to read from Jesus or to hear from him, a millstone tied around the neck is better. That's saying something. He's not talking about suicide. He's just talking about a horrible way to die is preferred for a believer. I'd rather die a horrible death. This is true. I would totally say this now that I've gone through the text study and the preparation for the sermon. Like in the first, it's like, what? What are you saying? But to prefer a horrible death rather than cause one of you to stumble. And this stumbling isn't, oh, I put an actual rock on your path and you tripped and fell. It's a spiritual stumbling. That spiritual stumbling is the reason why pastors have a long list of qualifications if you dare to be in front of people by the word of God, by his calling and his grace to speak the word of the Lord to them. Because if you are greedy for money, preacher, they're going to know it and you're going to put a big stumbling block to them that this spiritual stuff really doesn't matter. All I care about is what goes into my pockets. That's a spiritual stumbling. Causes people to doubt whether or not this Jesus thing is worth our time and energy, right? I would be putting things in your way. Some scandalous life. The scandal word is from stumbling here. It's the Greek word is, is a scandalizo, right? So it's where we get our English word for scandalizing someone. You're spiritually scandalizing someone would be the worst thing I could do with my time. I'd rather die a horrible death than be a spiritual scandal in someone's life for one of these little ones. Jesus seems to have in mind new believers not just little ones like they're under four feet tall or something like that, but little that they could be, it could be little, I mean they could be like little as new to the faith, as people who haven't sunk down deep roots in what this is, what Christ, what Christ has done for me, how it changes my identity and my new life. So if I go and I preach on Sunday mornings and then I go and drink it up at the bar on the, on the, the night before or the night after, that would send a mixed message, wouldn't it? So when does this apply to your life? When does causing someone stumble apply to you? When are people's eyes on you? Anytime. Right now. Sitting down in these chairs, you're sending a message to those around you that you care about Jesus. What an awesome opportunity to send a message just by sitting. Your presence is important. And then to go out during the week and cuss it up, gossip it up, steal from your workplace. What kind of message does that send? Maybe our eyes aren't on you then. This is the language of influence. 
you might think, oh, I don't have great influence. I'm not a celebrity. Celebrities naturally have a lot of eyes on them, right? You, are you a celebrity? <laughs> not so much, but you have people with your eyes. Neither am I, but we have people with our eyes on us, right? You have kids who look up to you, family members who know about your faith, friends, neighbors, people at work, everybody, everywhere, everybody, everywhere. Now suddenly, I'm under a waterfall of opportunity that's not just this like restricted, lamented thing, right? I have a whole, I have a whole calling. Wherever I go and whatever I do, that I would not put an impediment in someone's way. That I would not put a spiritual stumbling block in someone's way by what I say about God or but what I do or by what I do in his name. Now suddenly there isn't a single moment of your life that's private to you. As long as there are people around in your life, this passage applies. Jesus says, woe to the person who puts a spiritual stumbling block in the way because we all know that most precious and most important is for people to hear the word of God. There's one time where Jesus said, um, blessed is the person who doesn't stumble on account of me. And he's the only one with the perfect track record. He's the only one where his thoughts for his neighbor and the words that came out his mouth and his every deed and act was covered by the love of God the Father through him. Jesus says, I'm not doing what I want to do of my own. I'm not saying what I want to say of my own. Every word I say is the Father's word. Every deed I do is what the Father has given me to do. Jesus is speaking servant language, and he delights in it. And you could watch him, you could listen to him, and he says, blessed is the one who's never offended by what they hear or see in me. Jesus says, I know that there are stumbling blocks in the world. There's lots of things that happen in the news, in society, in the workplace that will always put something in people's way between them and Jesus. Let it not be from you. Are you up for that? Are you ready to serve as Jesus served? Be a city on a hill? Be a light that doesn't hidden under a bushel? A light that's ready to shine that all the watchers can see and they can hear and they can say, that's gotta be like Jesus. Makes you shake, doesn't it? Let's keep, let's hold that thought. The next thing Jesus says is forgive, right? He says, if your brother or sister sins against you, Watch yourselves, because here's another thing to watch. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. So when they recognize a sin, call a sin a sin, but always with the purpose. If they say, forgive me, then forgive them as your father forgives them. So that's the same thing. Even if they sin against you seven times, forgive them. Don't let something, this is a way to stumble someone, isn't it? If you were to come up to me and say, pastor, I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry, do you forgive me? And I would say, no, I don't. I'd be speaking from a revengeful, angry, bitter heart. I would not be speaking for Jesus. We once had a really neat exercise in Bible class and I used Clint to be God because he's tall and bald and it just made sense. So 
with that deep, you know, power voice. So Clint was, um, was sitting in Bible class and I said, you know, all of our lives is like a passing of a baton and we take, we take our script, we take our service, we take it all. We take the forgiveness that we give to someone who says, do you forgive me? Even if they do it seven times in a day, I go back to the one who instructs my heart and my life. I go back to the waterfall and I say, what do you say? What do you say? And a little note gets written from God for me to pass the p- to the person in my life. And then I pass it to them and I say, you're forgiven. Yeah, I forgive you, right? It's always a passing. It's not my word and it's not about me. It's a passing. And Jesus expresses that in both of these words. Are you beginning to visualize how a waterfall is here already? So many opportunities, so many blessings, so many ways to serve and be enlightened by your faith first and foremost as speaking to every little thing you do in life as a city on a hill and speaking to every little word that would come out of your mouth. I forgive you. That's God owning that moment. Not me and my selfish ways. That's me sharing a note from another in a calling. Isn't that beautiful? Are you beginning to flesh it out in your eyes what God has given us to do? That Jesus would call you to be his? That Paul would say in an epistle, be imitators of God? Really? That's my job description? Luther busted his brains out in the, in the Reformation time trying to win people back to this very biblical concept of a universal priesthood, that we are all the priests of God, not universal masters, not universal dictators. We live under, under a benevolent Lord, and we are all equally his priests with 24-7 job description given by God of what we get to do with our Christian lives of faith as we steward our time. Don't cause anyone to stumble. That's first and foremost. I want nothing to get in the way between you and Jesus. I want everything to be a straight baton passing that his word would be clearly communicated to you by what I do and by what I say and how I think that it's all there on the table. So, I think you and I land in like this rich, big, wide world that we're in and you get overwhelmed. So were the disciples. How did they respond to those first two words? Lord, increase our faith. Why? Because they wanted more of that. And I know you do too. There's a version of you that's being fed by your sinful nature and it whittles down your little world to yourself. Come back, let it be big and join it with prayer. That's rich and beautiful. The calling of God by his grace to be his, his little priest, wherever you go. Say, increase my faith. I have so much you're calling me to do. That city on a hill, that influencer, the person with opportunities to speak your word of forgiveness. Wow. Lord, increase our faith. And the next thing that makes you a blessed servant of God is not just the awesome bigness of the work, but is also the awesome bigness of the God who supports you in that work. Jesus says next to his disciples who got on their knees, practically speaking, 
and said, Lord, increase our faith. And what did he say? If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, here they're thinking, we want this to grow, and so are we. We want this to grow. And Jesus responds by saying, you know what? You're not alone. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, it's smaller than this. It's like that, right? It's like this big. Can you even see that my fingers are apart? If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it'll obey you. Right? That's Jesus' words from this section in Luke. You can, you can say to a mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. So he makes this comment about faith talking and doing big thing to a mulberry tree. Like that would be no small act to participate in. And this is really the way all Christian life is to be viewed. That you, as a convert, you having gone from darkness to light, you are about the biggest mission you could be on. The greatest calling. You have big things to think. And you have the sinful nature to fight. You have the devil to oppose with your words and your speech and your doing. It's all big. It's all mulberry tree type. And Jesus says your focus is not on that little mustard seed. Your focus is on the power that is given to you by faith. The power is not the mustard seed itself. Let's say your faith is a vehicle and you say, you know what, I'm a new believer. I'm kind of like a walker vehicle of faith versus like I'm riding a bike and I can go 18 miles an hour if I want. You know, that's a lot faster than your walk and somebody else is in a hot rod and you're like, my vehicle faith is super fast. I can beat all of yours, right? That's not Jesus' focus is on your gift of, of faith. Jesus wants you to focus on the object of that faith. And the object of your faith is God and his power. If God asks you to go talk to a mulberry tree, would you be confident or would you say, but I'm a walker. I'm just a walker. I only got my 10-speed bike, Lord. I'm not sure I'm up for talking to mulberry trees. Or would you say, vroom, vroom, like I'm ready for this, Jesus, let me give it a go because I feel fit for it. Or would your confidence talking to that mulberry tree be, God told me to do this. And so he will be there to do it when I do it. Do you hear the difference? When David went up to Goliath with five smooth stones and a sling in his hand, did he say, it's because I'm so good at taking down lions and protecting the sheep that I'm going to get this done? He defied Goliath in the name of God. So it's not the vehicle. It's the object of that faith. How fast can God drive? How fast can God get you there? Can God put a mulberry tree and plant it in the bottom of the ocean? Is anybody going to say no to that? Whatever God calls you to do, whatever God asks you to undertake, whatever trouble, whatever loss, whatever hardship, he's given you his commands, whatever God has brought you to do, he equips you to do it. 
You do it. Jesus says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, think about what you can do. If you have faith, period, he's saying think about what you do when God calls you to do it. Don't think of you. Get under the waterfall and be like, whoa, you're really good at doing things, Lord. And you call me to love my neighbor as myself. I'm not going to think about me when I do that. I'm going to think about your love. And when I forgive someone, I'm not going to think about how I feel about it. I'm going to think about who you are. When I think about going through this trial, I'm going to think about how you work all things for my good. You're a really fast car, God. You're faster than any human. And you're stronger than all of us. You are the vehicle. You are the object of my faith. I'm knocking down Goliath with a stone because God makes it happen. Caleb and Joshua give a record of why they think we can go take on the Canaanites. We're like grasshoppers compared to these Canaanites. They're so big, they're so strong, they're so wealthy. They got all this stuff in their cities. We can't do it, said a bunch of the other spies, right? But what did Caleb and Joshua do? They knew this was the, this was the, this was the will of God. And if it's the will of God that we go take on the city, we can do it with one person. God can do it with zero people, right? We can just actually do laps around Jericho and the walls come tumbling down. God also drove away enemies overnight that surrounded Jerusalem just by sending his angels. He doesn't even need you. But so often, my dear friends, priests of God, he uses his servants out there in the world. And he uses it in such a way that you should never be disheartened or discouraged in your labor for him. He gives you, he's ready. If you smate faith just as small as a mustard seed, go say it. Go do it. Let your confidence be in the God as you serve him, the God who supports you all the time the God who sends his spirit through this word to change how you think about your service. The God, every devotion you have, sends his spirit to change your thoughts and your heart and your life. He's there. He's ready to empower, to transform, to make you new. This is the God whose commitment matters. And he is a powerful God. Then Jesus says one last thing for the blessedness of the servants of the Lord, blessedness in your status. This is the last couple of verses. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you've done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. This is a marvelous statement. There is nothing you can do that's good in this world that's invented. Do you know why I'm saying that? Because what the servant says what Jesus says here, when you've done everything that you were told to do, you say, we're still unworthy servants. We've only done our duty. When it comes to doing good in this world, with anything in your life, you cannot invent something new. God has already revealed to you the full extent of your calling in the word. Isn't that a marvel? 
every relationship, every need, every doing of good is there from God in the word. Make the connection. Everything you could possibly do in your life in a day that is good is already outlined and detailed by God to his servants. God's word that calls you to be his has already set up for you a calling. He makes you his servant, and he's, the job description isn't missing any details. There's nothing you could go out there and say, oh, I bet this would be good, and I'll invent it. There's nothing you could say that would invent, be good and be beyond what God has already said in his word. Does that make sense? Because when you go and you spend yourself in life, Luther would celebrate how you don't have enough fingers to do all the things that you'd like to do. You don't have enough mouths to say all the loving things you'd like to say. You don't have enough brains to think of all the ways that you could use your time and talents, right? There's so much. There's so much. It's so wide. And God has covered all of it. Every person is his. Everything is his. Every ounce of sec- every second and every bit of life belongs to him already and he has saturated your heart with himself his love and his will how you use it all this is no isolated little you in a bubble world this is you under the biggest most magnificent waterfall you could think of so what is it are you going to think in your heart That, oh, I did this for my kids and I did this good thing in the world and I accomplished this for my company and I did this good thing. All of those things God is calling you to do. You're going to come in to the dinner table and have the master say, wow, good one. You totally took our A game and made it an A+. That's awesome. Thank you for being a child of God so creative and inventive of good works. He's not going to say that. He's going to say, hey, servant, go prepare the dinner. Keep going, doing the things that I've given you to do. They're all there, all the time, in everything you do. So continue to serve. And at the end, when you have done everything you were asked to do, when you spent your life serving, loving, forgiving, sweating it out not to put stumbling blocks in people's way, praying about the will of God, learning the word of God as the Holy Spirit blessed and gifted you when you've done everything God has called you to be doing in your life. Even at the end of it all, Jesus feeds your little heart a line for every night on your pillow, a line for every way you close and finish. You'd say, I'm still an unprofitable servant. I've only done my duty It's no sad statement. I've been thinking about this line all week. This is no sad statement on your heart. Oh, I'm still just a wimpy servant. I've only done my duty. I haven't done any profit to this Lord and master I have. No, it's not like that. It's this beautiful contentment of doing everything with all of my time and still at the end, that's, that's how big a vision God has for me. Isn't that amazing? Isn't the waterfall so huge? I hold my little cup. My heart fills and overflows with thanksgiving. It's just a few ounces of water. But Lord, how happy I am with what you've given me to do. So small, 
so it's such a drop in the bucket. But that's not a false humility, Lord. I delight what you've called me to do. This is my cup. It's my cup. That's my spouse. Those are my kids. It's my cup. This is my family. These are my friends. Those are my neighbors. These are my coworkers. Little cup. How blessed am I when I do all I can that you've given me to do. So much going on in the world. You give me this. I'm so thankful. That's where it is. God give you that kind of heart. Lord, increase our faith. A faith that delights in duty. Amen. Amen.